0: Is I started looking at like what am I really, really, really buying? So, like everybody goes to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or wherever the hell you go to get your coffee. And like, sure, it is four or five or six bucks too much money to spend on coffee. One thousand percent. Like, it's ridiculous that you would even consider going to Starbucks and paying five dollars and fifty-nine cents for a coffee. Yeah. But but before you beat yourself up too much about spending that much money on a cup of coffee, really think about what you're really buying. The way that I like to look at it is, okay, I get to you know get in my car. I get to pull up to a, a building. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to buy that building. I'm not renting that building. I don't pay taxes on that property. I didn't have to build anything. I didn't have to put then inside the Starbucks, all the furniture. I didn't have to buy the $12,000 espresso machine and stock mm-hmm. you know the milk and all the food and all the coffee, and I didn't have to hire any employees, I didn't have to pay any payroll taxes, I didn't have to learn how to make the, you know, the coffee, and you know, blah, 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 and you know, all I have to do is literally just pull up to a window, say, hey, I want a grande americano with almond milk, and four seconds later, I get one, and it's like, five bucks? Like, shut your damn mouth, take my money, and give me my coffee, that's a deal.
1: The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast, get on it. And we're back with another episode of Episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. And I've got Jordan Stupar. What's up, dude? Dude, everything's going on over here, man. I'm 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 excited to do this with you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you back, man. Um, you know, we, we got one going and we ran into some issues, but I got some a little bit of content we could play. But I'm I'm excited to kind of just crack this as real. So I'm gonna start it off, right? Because you got to crack this thing so in jordan's life right now if you looked at your life like a book what is your chapter's name
0: Whew. uh i would call i would call it spring because you know there's seasons to life right Ooh, you know call. there's seasons to life and i just went through a real long nasty cold dirty dark humiliating embarrassing winter and uh I wouldn't say I'm all the way out and I wouldn't call it summer quite yet. I've got plenty of work to do, but trust me, man, things are blooming. So I'd call it spring.
1: Okay. So um, when you, when you go through like that cold winter, I'm obviously, I'm not out in that area and I've never, I've experienced some cold living out here and being thin. It it doesn't take very much, but at that place, when, when you have that cold, does it take time for you to kind of uh, like as a human unthaw from that crazy season?
0: Um, I, I would say yes, both, um, both literally and theoretically.
1: Yeah. Dude, that's hundred percent. I've never, I've never lived in the cold. You, uh, I know you have a Porsche, so it, is it four wheel drive?
0: It is. Thank God that when I, when I came here, or was from it all Miami, wheel drive? Yeah. Yeah. All wheel drive. When I came here from Miami, I had my nine eleven That was rear wheel drive. And I learned very quickly that, it's a whole lot of fun in the snow and in the rain with rear wheel drive, the light little sports car. But as far as, you know, real safety uh, concerns, you know, like it's probably not the best vehicle to have here during the winter.
1: Mm -hmm. So I
0: definitely went and got a Cayenne with all wheel drive. And I mean, you you literally, you can hardly go sideways unless you take off the traction control. Got it. Which I do do frequently.
1: kind of turning that quality has always kind of been um anybody follows you jordan you like to have style and quality and all those things and was it always like that for you when you were you younger were you the guy that that geared up in high school what was was that or did it when did that turn for you
0: um no i haven't always been that guy i've always wanted to be that guy um i've Mm -hmm. always wanted to have you know some nice things um but you know, I, th- I think it wasn't really until I started really kind of making some money that I was able to acquire some of the things I've always kind of wanted to have. Mm. I've never really been, you know, I've always dressed well, um, whether it was street style or, you know, dressing well. I've always dressed well. I've never had a problem with that. Your but, shoes um, were always clean. My shoes were always clean. You know, I always had it, it went from like a fresh pair of Nikes to some mm. like Magnani dress up shoes to like, yeah. you know, all that nice stuff. And I just, I like quality really more than I like, you know, the, the big names and
1: such. I just like quality stuff. I think that that obviously travels into business, but you know, when you look at quality stuff, um, do you tend to kind of bite off the price or do you kind of try to find like an angle of something that you like, how do you look at quality? Do you find it? Like, obviously, you know, you choose Porsche, you, you, you're an enthusiast as we've talked before. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? So
0: I, 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 I've, I lived most of my life complaining about price and, and being a price shopper one, because I didn't really have the money to buy and purchase quality without really thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, obviously there's that, I mean, you can like quality all you like, but if you can't afford a Louis Vuitton bag, you know, you're probably not going to buy one. So, um, You know, I I did that and then I started making some money and I still found myself kind of like price shopping and withholding my ability to have some of the quality things that I wanted. And I realized that oftentimes because I'm in sales and I do sales stuff every I've been doing sales for 20 years, I realized that I was struggling a lot of the times with price shoppers or people that had payment problems or, you know, price issues or objections in, in that area. And I realized that one of the main reasons I was struggling to overcome those objections or relate to those people or do well is because I was justifying those same objections in my own life where it's like, mm. oh, dude, I don't know, man, a Porsche, 100 and, you know, forty grand for a car, that's, that's insane. You know. But then I was like, wait a second. And this is a little gem for the audience. Here's how you can flip your perspective, I think, is I started looking at like, what am I really, really, really buying? So like everybody goes to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or wherever the hell you go to get your coffee. And like, sure, it is four or five or six bucks too much money to spend on coffee, 1,000%. Like it's ridiculous that you would even consider going to Starbucks and paying $5.59 for a coffee. But, but before you beat yourself up too much about spending that much money on a cup of coffee, really think about what you're really buying. The way that I like to look at it Is okay. I get to, you know, get in my car. I get to pull up to a a building. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to buy that building. I'm not renting that building. I don't pay taxes on that property. I didn't have to build anything. I didn't have to put then inside the Starbucks all the furniture. I didn't have to buy the $12,000 espresso machine and Mm -hmm. stock, you know, the milk and all the food and all the coffee. And I didn't have to hire any employees. I didn't have to pay any payroll taxes. I didn't have to learn how to make the you know the coffee and you know blah 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 and you know all I have to do is literally just pull up to a window, say, "Hey, I want a grande americano with almond milk," and four seconds later, I get one, and it's like five bucks. Like, shut your damn mouth! Take my money and give me my coffee. That's a deal, and that's shut the
1: same with the, that's mouth.
0: The, yeah, and that's the same with with everything. It's like with 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 a Porsche, for instance. Now mm-hmm. you're going from five dollars to one hundred and fifty grand. It's like you're telling me. All I got to do is write you a check and you're going to give me a vehicle that was, that's been, then that's been evolving for the last 70 years by the greatest, you know, sports car engineers in Germany. They've sourced the, the leather for the seats. They figured out how to put the engine in the back. They, they put the rubber on the car. They they've built this race car from the greatest, you know, racing company of all time. They've had the most wins. And I get all of that for 150 grand. Mm-hmm. Like that's a deal. Shut up and take my money. Yeah. And uh, so I don't, I don't do any of that. When I go to the the bar, you know, I'm just like, you know, eighteen dollars for an old fashioned. That's way too much money to spend on alcohol. But I like it because that means that's going to be a good old fashioned. It's quality. And you mean to tell me, right, that I didn't have to pick the bourbon. I didn't have to learn how to make alcohol. I didn't have to stock the bar. Pay, way to look at it. You know what I'm saying? So I, yeah. I look at, I look at. Well, everything I think you like, also value
1: your your time and I think that um, your presence is what you're valuing value in as well. And I think that when you start to kind of you know want to have those things, there's other reactions that come with them. And I think that there's a conversation here that also is um, even with business owners and everything like especially like salespeople it's like do you just go spend all your money like that or how do you you know how do you you got to figure out how to kind of manage it correctly. Um, but I think what happens is depending on what you're purchasing. There's also the networking aspect of it. And there was, it's actually Grant Cardone was on. He's like, why did you buy the Why you buy the jet? And he says, that jet makes me more money than anything. And they're like, what do you for mean? Sure. And he said, because I can travel with that thing. But the other thing too is like, I had these in my life a few times, but Harley Davidson's did it for me. I was young. I was 21 years old. I have a soft tail with eight hangers on it. And I'm riding around like a maniac. And you pull up to a bar and you get people of all ages that just, are astonished in what you're doing and yeah, and just, who are you? What are you about? And I think that on a side, and especially cause like we're going to continue talking about sales, there's a little bit of like, I to say it's like arrogance in a way of a sale, not arrogance, but like, like, fuck. Yeah, I did it. I closed that son of a bitch, you know? So there's that confidence that comes with that. And I think that sometimes the things that we purchase cause I was heavily into sales at the time and it was like, yeah, I earned this. Right, you're like I yeah. want this thing. Now, don't, yeah, and I think you said it in the very beginning. If you can't afford it, then that doesn't make sense. But if you are having some income coming in, there's also value in adding quality to your life because I think that attracts, you know, people that are like minded like you.
0: hundred percent. Like your Harley Davidson, sure you got to enjoy you know, the open road and the, the wind in your face and all the experiences that come women. along with <laughs> right. But even on top of all of those other things, you're, you're purchasing access to a lifestyle that you can't have unless you drive or ride a, a Harley Davidson. Yeah. You know, like, you're dude, I, I pull right. up in my Porsche to a, a biker group of Harley people. They're going to be like, yo, beat this, beat this motherfucker up. <laughs> you know, but if, but if I show up on a Harley, it's like immediate, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, sweet dude, he's one of us. So absolutely. I think, you know, quality things too. I mean, why do women want Louis Vuitton bags? It's so that they can compete with each other on the social stratosphere of being female. It's like, oh, you got to
1: tell you, cause my girl has one. She has a couple of bags and I'll tell you they last forever.
0: I only buy Louis Vuitton leather goods now. Like I, I, I will pay the price because, I mean, my Louis Vuitton wallet, like as a dude, I'm mm-hmm. sitting on it. It's it's everywhere. It's brand new. It still looks mm-hmm. brand new. And, you know, my wife's had Louis bags now for, for years and like there's not a, even a single sign of wear or tear on it. It's, it's quality.
1: And that's what you're paying yeah. for. So you're going to like this twist here. The reason I brought all that up is because Mr. Jordan Stupar, his Stupar Enterprises is about training salespeople, and there's quality that comes with that as well. So I wanted to set that up on purpose. Well done. I think you've done an amazing job on creating a quality product, also a quality, um, uh, when you go into social media, you've done a very good job. So what I would like to ask, diving right into sales and, and what your profession is, um, when was the shift? Because you've been in sales for a while. I've done sales basically my entire life. Um, where do you think the shift in sales style changes changed when do you you think that shift was um
0: if i am hearing your question in the correct context i think that sales had its biggest kind of overall shift uh well i think with the initial invention of the internet however not so much obviously the internet was super young and people weren't used to it but like I would say probably like when social media became mass adopt, when, when, you know, Facebook had its first hundred million users and it wasn't just, you know, kids in college doing, you know, we can out drink you, you know, here's a photo of us drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when, uh, when Facebook kind of opened up to everybody and it was mass adopt by 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds and. Instagram was acquired whatever that was probably 2012 2013 I think is when things kind of really started popping off uh, with those platforms that's where I think uh, sales um, had its most significant evolution
1: mm. yeah I and, and what do you think um, I might have a couple ideas because I think it would be interesting to spit this off but what do you think it was? Do you think it was the the the? Do you think it was the do you think it was the salespeople that were transitioning in the way that they were as humans, like the way that like um, if you're making sales in different ways through Zoom and all those things, is it a different transaction than when somebody would actually come into your lot or someone would come in and you'd sit there and nurture the relationship, right? Because that was always always be closing. It really started with break the ice, create some relationship so that someone can trust giving the money to you. Yep. But but do you think it was the consumer or do you think it was kind of like the technology that changed the way that we approach people differently?
0: I think it was the consumer's ability to access information that changed the way that salespeople have to interact with those individuals. Um, You know, I talk to my dad about this all the time. He's in his seventies and he's been in sales my whole life. And he was selling uh, telecommunication systems to, um, large public schools, large companies, uh, fortune 500. And literally like, imagine this, there's literally no Google, there's no internet. And like my dad, um, he, he started making buco bucks and he would call, you know, the Milwaukee public school systems or American, uh, family insurance. And this was his cold call. Hey, my name is Jeff with, with my How would you like to be able to see who's calling you before you pick up the phone? And it's like, dude, what? Caller ID, baby. And my my, he would set he would set that meeting. He would grab his phone, you know. He would call himself whatever from that, and it's like Jeff Stupar pops up on the phone or whatever. And then you know, imagine this: you're the buyer, and you're looking at a $1.6 million complete redo of your entire phone system, which by the way, you didn't have Slack (laughs) or or any other way. Like the only way to communicate around the office was either to walk your ass all the way over to the other side of the the building, fax something or snail mail something Mm -hmm. or call them on a direct line or whatever. And so how are you going to find my dad's competitor? How are you going to find a lower price? How are you going to know that, how are you going to know that, you know, like, and so that's why I think we've made this transition. And, and this is a big point of mine, at least as a, as a sales trainer, coach, whatever is you had ABC back in the day. Cause it's like, my dad is in that building. This is 1.6. Where else are you going to go get the information sign right here? Let's get this thing done. And Okay there's no extra research or like, you don't even know who else exists. So you just end up buying. And I think that you got to have a little bit of pressure there to get that person to just commit in that moment and say, yes. These days I say, instead of ABC, always be closing. I say ABV always bring value because people have always, always bring value. Okay. Always bring value. Because everybody, there's no shortage of places to go to find more value or a lower price or a different feature or whatever. There's so much stuff out there and it's so instantly accessible. And these days you can buy three quarters of it on Amazon with a one click buy button. So like you got to nurture those relationships and bring value to people to establish those relationships or you're not going to succeed very much as
1: a salesperson these days. I agree with that. I I definitely agree with that. You know, I think that, um, the transitions of the way that we do that also has to do with the way that we're communicating. And we do want a little bit more information. We're probably, we're always emotional buyers. I mean, if if you don't believe in emotion, you probably aren't going to sell very much at all. That's facts. Um, You know, um, how, how important do you think somebody that's actually selling, um, has that emotional ability? You know, most people, um, how do I, emotional intelligence, I guess you would say. How, how important do you think emotional intelligence is to people that are selling um, products and goods?
0: Um, I think it's really important, but I also think that it can be manipulated a bit. For instance, mm-hmm. I work with any industry, any salesperson, any profession, any income bracket, whatever. And I, I'm able to, I work with people with high EQ, low EQ. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that you can manipulate the salesperson's ability to uh, bring about an emotional response with that customer. Um, Because, you know, the things that I train on, you know, there's pretty much six emotions that people experience that cause purchasing behavior. And, you know, just take uh, one of them relief, for example, you know, you can, um, if I'm selling you a Harley Davidson, right, and I'm talking with you about the Harley, obviously, I want you to ride it, I want you to hear it and get emotional about it. But at the same time that might not be the real reason why you end up purchasing. Maybe what you're really looking for is you're tired of going to the bar. Maybe it's a biker's bar or there's just frequented by a lot of Harley people and you see them in their tight little knit group circle and you, you're you just out there by yourself having your cocktails and nobody really befriends you. And maybe you are kind of friends with them, but you want to be really in with those guys. I'm going to, I'm going to get you to purchase the Harley Davidson, not so much on the emotional experience of hearing the room and all that, I'm going to get you to purchase that bike because I want you to feel the relief of understanding that once you park your speedster at the bar, you no longer are going to be an outcast. And so if you understand that process and you understand those emotions, I think that you can do a good job of eliciting those emotional responses and buyers these days.
1: And it's interesting that you kind of bring that up because um, when I sold Harleys at the time, obviously I was young and I wasn't a motorhead or anything like that. And so I really never cared. They'd all laugh at me in the back. I was always top salesperson. And they always be like, you don't even know where the piston. And I was like, no, but I you don't know, need to. know but I, I know, I know where the, that the guy wants to have a girl on the back and we got to make sure there's some chrome on it. Cause that's how he feels when he picks her up. And when he gets this on Sunday, when he goes with his friends, he's going to think he can fight but he probably can't, but we're going to make sure he can can be put into this thing. And the way that I would always sell is that's the story you tell. Oh, hey, by the way, did you have a grandfather that had a Harley Davidson?
0: Maybe, maybe not. My
1: grandfather had one. And the reason I'm getting one was because he was in the ward. It reminds me of him. And I want to play on that legacy and kind of talking about what you're saying. That's exactly what it is. I think that's like a, I think that's in people in sales. I think that they don't, they miss that a lot. They missed yeah, the, the it's, second stage of the relief. I like that. They, they really do. You know, uh, there's a, a
0: trillion examples we could go back and forth on. And I think, yeah, if there's salespeople out there listening to this or watching it or whatever, I think they can really take home that you don't really need to know all that much about your product. You know, I could go to the Harley store right now and probably do a pretty damn good job of selling Harleys based exactly on what you just said. It's the It's the emotional experience of, um, of, of what it is when I have the bike, you know, how do I feel when I'm gripping the steering wheel with my Porsche? Well, I know that there's faster cars. I know that there's more expensive cars. I know all, I know it. I feel like a winner in motorsport behind my vehicle. Cause Porsche is the most winningest manufacturer when it comes to racing. So that's how I feel. And I, I bring home some of that confidence with me when I'm gripping that wheel. So it, that's what I'm buying.
1: So with that flip, we can jump into like Stupar Enterprises. And one of the things I thought um, would be interesting to talk about is that you have a content process. um, You put a lot of it out. Um, Who inspires you or um, how do you find ways to create new content and maybe pitch things a different way? How how do you, what is your creative process in that? So I use what I call, and I kind of
0: coined this out of, having to answer questions like these before I use kind of this push and pull method is what I call it for, for social media. I post a lot, uh, for several reasons. One is I want to stay relevant with my audience Two, I want to capture new people into that audience three. I want to continue just dripping on, on my viewers or the people that are usually watching my content just to let them know, Hey, when you're ready to do some sales training or make more money or whatever, like I'm over here. Yeah. Uh, but also I think, and this is a golden nugget for any salespeople out there, is I, I publish all that content and it helps uh, helps me pull in more opportunities. I get people that are like, hey, man, what was that one program you were talking about? Or where can I learn more about that or whatever? So I'm pulling in opportunities. But what I can also do is take some of individual pieces of content and I can push them out either um, you know, directly to, to a, a prospect. If, I, if I'm cold calling on you and, you know, I, I do a good job and I realize that you have attention on handling objections and I just posted or somewhere on in my Instagram account or whatever have a video of me talking about objections, if I don't close the deal with you or I'm making sure that you show up to that appointment or I'm just nurturing you in, or ABV, always bringing you value, I can take the little URL link to that one post and I can email it to you or I can send it to you via DM or whatever. And again, maybe you love it. Maybe maybe you don't even watch it or whatever. But now I've got something that, again, you kind of have identified to me that you have your attention on. So I'm, I'm using content that I've already used, but I'm repurposing it for individual follow-up efforts to make sure that I stay relevant with you specifically and serve up content
1: that you find most interesting. I'm gonna grab a charger here real quick. but one of the questions I want to ask is who who's inspired you? Because I know there's so many different sales people through the generations that have been different. Who are some of those things those people that inspire you? I'm just going to grab this charger real quick. Sure. I think the the, the person that's probably
0: inspired the, me the most in sales and to be in sales and just do sales in general, I think he's gonna be my dad. And I'm sorry if that lets anybody down. I don't have you know, any man, real I
1: was literally if I could have written that down, I had a I just had an instinct. You like, already
0: knew. I knew it. That's you exciting. Already.
1: That's exciting.
0: Yeah. You know, my 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 dad, you know, I told them when I was much, much, much younger, like 20 years plus ago, I'm never gonna be like you. I'm never gonna wear a suit. I'm never gonna be on calls. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be a salesperson because uh, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a musician. And that I was going through that phase. And uh, ultimately, dude, my dad created a, a a really good lifestyle for his family selling stuff. And uh, when I got fired from Chili's, I was like, dude, you know what?
1: Is that very difficult? Go- huh? Is that very difficult? Doing what? Getting fired from Chili's.
0: Uh, it wasn't really, I could care less about the job. I, I almost intentionally got fired from Chili's. Like I didn't show up to work for three days in a row. So like, I knew I had it coming. <laughs> I'm just not a good quitter. So I wanted to get fired instead. Um, well, that's but, hilarious. but yeah, you know, I didn't want to go back to college. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to necessarily take any other professional path or anything. So, you know, I just started going door to door in sales and I just fell in love with the the idea of the fact that I can get paid pretty much whatever I want based on work ethic uh, and that there is obviously a skill set to be de- de- uh, to be developed and if you can you'll make more sales and you'll make more money and then you know it it it's kind of addicting in a way
1: was your father I, I got I really got into sales a lot it was my uncle but it was also my dad and did he do anything with you um, to practice when he was younger did he ever like, Try to teach you the tactic and, like, was he because any most people that I know that have been in sales, you kind of want to regurgitate what you've done. You always want to tell the story of the sale. I don't know if you were always about that, but salespeople love to tell the story from start to finish for sure. Of the sale, it's almost like a fight. They came in and I threw my jab, I threw a cross, and I threw they a said hook this I said, I knocked that. them out. Yeah. Yep. What was your gross? What was the gross? What was it? there's that. So, what do you think?
0: Um, You know, my dad didn't share too many war stories, you know, uh, uh, of all that, Um, you know, come to think about it. My dad shares pretty much none of those quintessential, you know, um, sales um, values of, you know, he I mean, he won uh, he won the president's club for his company and was the number one salesperson globally for 26 years in a row and never, ever once went on like the Maui trip or the Cabo trip or the, and there's always this, the one thing he always usually does share is that, you know, there was a, an event, uh, you know, at the end of his tenure there at that company where, uh, you know, they were again, like salesperson of the year, Jeff Stupar. And, uh, you know, somebody had been, you know, talking to somebody else and bumped the guy and was like, dude, I bet this guy isn't even real. I bet the company just puts this guy up here so that we always have to just push more to beat <laughs> you have somebody. to fight
1: to beat that guy.
0: <laughs> and and so he has shared stuff like that with me, uh, but he he hasn't, I mean, maybe once or twice, he, he told me a little bit about an interaction or whatever, but he's never been that kind of quintessential, like coming home and been like, yeah, bro. Like <laughs> here's a beer. I got a story for you,
1: dude. He probably did that with his, yeah, maybe not, maybe not. I, um, you know, you, you, maybe that's just because you were the son and it was part of providing for his family. But, you know, right. I remember growing up and, and I think that um, my dad would be go down and he, he would be like, how much for that car or something like that. And, and I'd say this much, say, Oh, I'll give you this much. And he would like play negotiate with me at a very oh, young yeah. age. And I don't think that did as well for him as I got a little bit older. Cause I would always be like two spankings and one hour in my room. And he'd be like, no, Jason, <laughs> we're going to swat you three times. And there is no time in your room. Okay. How about, and I would do this over as a kid. I try to negotiate my way out of getting my ass whipped by my parents. Yeah. And I, I had good parents, but you know, everybody gets spanking by the spoon, by the way.
0: Hey, I got, I got spanked.
1: Dude, I got, I used to get the wooden spoon, man. And you know Dude, what? Geez, got, my mother used to say, Hey, go get the wooden spoon. I'm like, who goes and gets their own gun?
0: Same, same here, man. I mean, my mom broke a spoon over my ass once. And I was like, I did too. I'm pretty sure that was my last spanking because she was like, okay, he's too grown. That's, <laughs> that's a solid ass right there. I'm hitting
1: some muscle here. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Dude, that's so good. So the, another thing that I was like, I always think about, and I think about the deep side is, uh, of sales as well is what would, it, when it comes to, because there's a difference between marketing and sales. And if you have a, pro, if you have a salesperson that has an incredible marketing backing, then he becomes kind of an order taker. What would you say some of the things would be valuable on the marketing side that would, as far as salespeople, that they would want loaded before the, before they got there? Does that make sense? Maybe butchering the question, but I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at. and see if I get it again, by the time it gets to the salesperson for the salespeople to have a smooth conversation in the actual closing process, what are some things in marketing? that should be loaded up so that you have a, a positive experience. So it's not like a used car experience.
0: I think that, I think one of the things that you should do, if, if possible, I understand that there's several products and services out there that can't provide any pricing details. unless you actually get some, you know, firm, you know, details to provide an estimate. But I think one thing that people make a mistake on, is uh, not discussing price quickly with people. I think that price should be easily accessible if somebody is looking for something. Um, you know, if not, then you end up getting to price and then people use that as the reason to say yes or no rather than saying yes or no to the value proposition of the product wow, or let's, service.
1: Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dissect that for a second. So you have a feeling that it'd be nice on the marketing side if the price was already there?
0: Up a thousand percent. For instance, I have... Uh, a higher level um, sales coaching program where I work with people every single day for eight weeks in a row. It's extremely time intensive. It comes with a one hundred percent money money back guarantee, and I run Facebook ads for it. and In the Facebook ad, and again on the landing page, and again the very very first thing on the sales call with my team is, by the way, this is ten grand because a couple things I, I want to accomplish. One. I want you to get your broke ass out of my ad funnel or off my sales team's time. If you can't afford my product. That's number one. That
1: was great. That is so good. Yeah. That's number one. I want to get the jokers
0: out of the deck, dude. Mm -hmm. I don't want to waste my time with people that can't afford my product because dude, there's nothing more valuable than time. I'd rather have one good sales call from somebody that's qualified than 12 all day and then have one, you know, Mm So that's number one that marketing needs to do. Like for instance, car dealerships, some of them have, you know, their price on the website. A lot of dealerships don't. Call for price. Why do they want that? So that they can get your information and then give you the price anyway that you're just going to say no to because your price is higher than, you know, whatever store down the street. It's, it's extremely annoying and it makes those salespeople struggle way more because those people get combative on the phone. Like, I'm just calling about the price on the, yeah. on, on the on this one. And it's like, shit, dude, like everybody that I talk to is broke when nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. So that's bullet point. Number one, marketing needs to be as upfront about price as possible, or at least give some type of ballpark or range or something. And I think also the other thing that needs to be discussed is the, uh, the intent to purchase, you know, like where exactly are you? Are you pretty educated. Have you been shopping around for a minute? Or was this that shiny new object that you're like, dude, I want to learn more about it and book a call. Where are
1: you at in the, in the, in the mental process of purchasing this product? Exactly. Like, like your Porsche, you you were five months out. I mean, you're just like, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to get. You were already like, you already there.
0: I was years into the process. <laughs> in fact, I only bought the Porsche because it cost me more money not to have it. I had spent so much time shopping watching youtube building it online and i was like dude just buy the damn thing and then get back to work instead of wasting your time thinking about getting one
1: that's a good point that's a good point yeah i think that um it's an interesting thing because there's when it comes to sales there's the time for maybe the pitch um and in the marketing there's the there there's what's the price um so you're saying that you think that if it's good marketing if the marketing's there if you show the price when people actually come through your process, right when they land, you're building the value of the price instead of building the relationship to drop the price on them.
0: Right. Like, dude, um, everybody knows that a Bugatti is a million-dollar car. That's exactly why everybody wants one, including the people that can afford them. It's, it's high-priced because all that a price really is, is a reflection of what the company or the production or the manufacturer or the creator or whatever perceives the value to be for the end user. Mm-hmm. And obviously some things like a car, you know, obviously if it's a Bugatti, I'm sure that there's plenty of hard and high significant cost involved. But, you know, for, for, for what I do, I sell, I sell information. Like there's not really a whole lot of actual hard cost that goes into me jumping on a zoom call with you and providing you with information, Um, However, if I price that information, say, at $100,000, are you attracted to that?
1: Um, I would have to build the value to find the hundred. Of
0: course. But if you saw somebody out there that was like, hey, man, in one hour, one hour with me is Mm
1: $100,000.
0: You you might be like, holy shit, like I'm not going to afford that or maybe I can or whatever. Either way it's probably going to be a little bit exciting for you to be like, what is this person able to accomplish with me in one hour? Like why a hundred grand for a hundred grand? Like what would I actually get? And assuming that you're reasonably qualified, you might book that call. And then my job is to say, look, man, I'm going to sell you an hour of my time. I'm not saying that you should buy this right now. I'll do a little backdoor, a little bit of a takeaway, take off some pressure theoretically, if you were going to pay me a hundred thousand dollars for an hour of my time, what would be the one, two, maybe three things you would absolutely have to know that we would accomplish on that 60 minute call in order for you to feel comfortable moving forward right now. So here's my high price. You tell me what you would need to see, you know, to, to make sense out of that hundred grand. And if I can do that's a, a great, great job way to
1: build your product as well. I mean, that's a great men- mental of creating all your day offer. long. Yeah,
0: all day long, you know, Mm. and and price is a silly thing, you know. I sell that that sales acceleration eight week program. I've sold it for three grand. I increased prices to fifty five hundred. Never lost any customers. I'm increasing it to ten thousand and to twenty five thousand. And look, one of the main reasons I'm I'm moving it to twenty five thousand dollars instead of fifty five hundred is because well, I already know that I'm missing out on hundreds of opportunities. Cause there's going to be people out there that make 75 grand a year. And they're like, all right, fine. I'll do it, man. Here's 5,500. Like I can barely afford it. Take me to the next level. And then there's going to be a person out there making 750 grand. That's like, dude, really? I get to work with this person every single day for eight weeks in a row. And it's 5,500 bucks pass. Oh yeah. Because yeah. The, their perceived value of that, what they're
1: getting for that dollar. Oh, and amount. who they are in a sense right, like, yeah, and standards. So you're assuming that the price needs to match your standards because the value that you need out of that price needs to match the standard that you built for yourself.
0: Right, and you know, every time that I raise prices, I get the same amount of customers or more, and I make more money. and And also, I deal with customers that actually appreciate what it, what it is that they buy. Mm-hmm. You know you don't you don't see a whole lot of uh. On Instagram, you don't see a whole lot of those cool car washing videos and everything with, you know, a beat up Honda, No, (laughs) but you'll see a lot of them with Ferraris, Lambos, Porsches, whatever, because they're nice cars. People want to take care of their shit and because they appreciate what they worked so hard for and what they spent so much money on. And so, I mean, I love working with people that are the highest price. You know, I I work with a guy right now inside of sales acceleration with a $60,000 offer. And it's like, that's the price. And it's like, he crushes it because it attracts people that have the money and are looking for something that's that valuable. So um, prices is always a hilarious conversation. Everybody wants to lower price and be competitive on price. Well, dude, be competitive in value and blow people's minds with the price and the value and over deliver, you know?
1: I I think that's, you know, because obviously as business owners, entrepreneurs, stuff, it really does come down to the offer for you as a salesperson as well. Because it's like, if I don't have a really good, if I don't have a good product, it, it, it's going to be a lot about trying to figure out what is this thing and why you're going to buy it. Or did you hear anything or anything like that? So one of the things I know that you, you'd created Stupar Enter- Enterprises and you started it all by yourself, right? You had a, you have a story of just starting it all alone and all um, by myself, all by yourself, and then when was the pinnacle time that you decided to add staff and have salespeople? So anybody that's ever followed you, you're a fun follower, you've done a really good job on creating this belt. And you know, I, I was all stoked about it because I'm a big fight fan. So I was like, that's a great idea. That's that's really cool. So I thought that was really it was really cool. I'll kind of explain it. You you give them kind of a belt for winning, and, the title you know, belt, a title belt. What was the moment that you went? You know what? I, I need to add people. And then I'm going to have to train them. And now they're going to have to be the machine that you have.
0: Yeah. So um, uh, the moment that I realized it for me was, um, you know, I was I was launching my, my cash cards product. And honestly, like, dude, I was making money hand over fist and generating leads that one, I couldn't follow up with because I was spending six to eight hours a day sitting there by myself just fulfilling orders, going to the post office, coming back, fulfilling order. So I couldn't actually even follow up with these people. So um, at that time I was like, I need, I need to, I need to delegate this. It needs to be done. I can't I, I can't grow my company in revenue if I'm doing this. So um it was it was a very easy decision for me at that point to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to bring somebody in. Your job is now to to do all this. My job is to make calls and follow up with all these customers. Hey, how's it going? Do you have any feedback? By the way, I've got this upsell opportunity, yada, yada, yada. And then I also realized at the same same time I still couldn't keep up with all those calls. And so I just started scaling the sales staff. Then I had a retention problem. And people are like, hey man, didn't get my package or hey man, you know, I got a question about this thing inside Stupar Sales Academy or whatever. And I was like, oh, I need to get a, a CSM a, a client. Success manager to help manage retention and customer service and yada yada yada, um, and so, you know, I, I think, I think delegation is probably one of the, one of the things that's just come easiest to me. It's, it you know, what do I suck at and what do I don't have time for and what's the one thing that I need to be spending all my time on? The one thing I need to be spending all my time on is making my products more valuable so I can sell them, and then I need to just find out like. Accounting, I suck at, boom, go get a bookkeeper and an accountant, at CPA and you, y'all handle it. Yeah, uh, I sales su-
1: people make the money. We
0: don't, we don't yeah. count it. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Like, dude, I don't want to be involved in spreadsheets, taxes, QuickBooks dude. and nothing. Um, and so delegation for me has been one, that's probably, I can't imagine anybody really suffering with delegation. Like which, who do I hire next? Like, it should be probably the easiest question based on what frustrates you, I think. You know, when I get frustrated, I'm like, fuck, I ain't doing that again. I'm hiring somebody.
1: Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, you know, uh, our, uh, the move 30 is which we do for entrepreneurs and, and really is about trying to get stack these repeatable processes. And I always like to hear these stories because the reality is you did it yourself. This is what I think the story that you're telling that the underlying story that maybe I caught it's on the angle of that is that you grinded the, the front end. Like you didn't yeah. go out there and say, okay, I need a salesperson. No, you went and grinded it so that you kind of like cleaned it out. And then you went, okay, now I have a process. I'm now going to go hire someone. One of the things that would be an interesting question for you would be like, so you hire, so you're teaching people to do sales and then they're hiring salespeople. When you decided to do your own, what was that like pressure? Like, where you're like, oh man, now I got to I got to be able to, I, my guy's got to crush it. Right. Cause you're not, that's your product. Now it's like really in your hands. What was that feeling like? Well, I mean, like,
0: I don't think that I get enough pats on the back for this. And I don't think enough people really see it. But like my very first hire was, was my guy, Dale. And he had, when he came and and started working for me, he legit, we went through all the the normal sales vocab, like cold call. He's like, what, what's a cold, like, what's a cold call? I was like, coffee for closers. He's like, what does that even mean? Like he like had, coffee. he was from the medical field, had no, no idea about a sale. He didn't even know what a sales process was. And uh, dude, Dale, Dale made over a hundred thousand dollars, you know, without even knowing what he was doing because he was, he was being trained and being groomed for all of that. And, you know, he's, he's on track probably to make three, four, five five hundred grand this year in his second year. And um, that's one thing that never even fazed me. It's like, dude, I'll take, I will take anybody, anyone. And if you have work ethic, that's the only thing I can't teach you to do. I can't teach you to show up to work and make a call. If if you can, if you have work ethic, I don't care who you are. I'll make you successful in sales, period. And so for me that, you know, that that's, that's the thing. Like I I pick up the phone and people, I don't know if I should do this. It's like, really, you mm-hmm. don't think that you can get a little bit better, like shut up and give me your credit card number. It just gets to that point where at the end of the day, you know, the only reason people don't work with me is they're not confident in themselves. That's about it.
1: And at this point, you have put yourself in a position in your company to make that statement. Cause that's that kind of statement is like, Hey, if you're not buying it, then you're the one that's missing out because I know that I can transform you.
0: And, and it, yeah. And, and it, they also have to know for themselves that they're, they're part of their, they're responsible for their own transformation. The only thing that I can do is give you, you know, I, I can give you body armor, night vision, grenades, automatic weapons, ammo, the whole thing. But dude, you got to go to war.
1: Yeah. What is it? What do you what, want me do to do? One of the ones that holds people like, I mean, there's so many there's so many barriers in sales and people do sales and owners have to do sales. I mean, this isn't just like salespeople. This is like, if you own your business, you're about to go grow. You're going to have to have that front end at least to get it off the ground, unless you're going to fund it and find salespeople, everything like that. Um, What is it you find that the, the one thing that people are not doing, like what is the one, like the front end, if they just started doing this thing, the rest of them will fall. What do you think? What do you think that is?
0: If they just started actually working, that's about it. I mean, look, I can, I can sell you on the idea of training or using a certain approach or improving your product or whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. the, the 90, 98% of salespeople out there, and the reason why I'm not a trillionaire is because 98% of people out there are just too lazy to do the work and too arrogant to want to change and improve. They're like, I'm good. They're, they're, they're. That's the one thing that if, if you want to make a significant, uh, a significant impact on your income, your lifestyle, everything, just work. Like, don't sign up for Steve Parr Sales Academy and force yourself to become a lifetime student if you're not gonna apply the and, and, and do the work. I work best with Mm -hmm. people that are already making the calls that are already showing up consistently. And they're, they're the Kobe Bryant's out there looking for a dude. If if I could just take a razor and shave off one sixteenth of an inch off my shoe, I could accelerate off the jump a little bit quicker, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, yeah, that, that, that would be my one suggestion for the front end of anything is dude, you're I've been working 18 hours a day pretty much seven days a week for the last two years. And I've been able to scale a business from literally, literally zero to, to well over a million dollars, less than 12 months, because I was
1: willing to put in the work period. Yeah. I think that it's, um, you think we've lost, do you think that we have lost worth at work ethic? Or do you think that we've just got so much information that we just get all over the place, man? I just think that
0: people are, are, are they're just not in alignment with, with where they wanna go. Like, don't take a sales job, but wish that you were a YouTube star. Like, oh, there's, yeah. so, there's so many people that show up to a sales job just so that they can make their, you know, two, three grand a month to pay, to pay their bills, but they sit around wasting their time at that sales job and wasting opportunity that they could be using to make loads of money because they wish that they were a YouTube star. If you wanna be a YouTube star, Go be a YouTube star. Like anybody can do that. You just make good content and post every single day. That's about it. And sooner or later, you'll make something happen. So I think that's one of the main reasons why people are are kind of like lazy or whatever. It's like, stop wishing for something else and just go do it then, you know? And and put 18 hours a day into it until your YouTube channel is is crushing, you know? And Gary V talks about that shit all the time. It's like, well, dude, I, I really... I have a sales job, but I just really love Pokemon. It's like, okay, then go literally slay Pokemon universe with your knowledge, your creative talents. And sure, Mm -hmm. it's going to take you probably two, three years to really build that thing up and monetize, but like go and do it. It's better than working at a, at a sales job that you can't stand. But you know, if you're like, well, I kind of like the sales job and there's lots of opportunity. It's like, Well, then work on yourself and become the most valuable
1: salesperson that you possibly can
0: or else don't do it. It's just not worth it.
1: So on an individual side, on an individual side, um, that conversation is absolutely real. When you have more than eight salespeople, do you look at the organization sales differently than you look at the individual, you see what I'm getting at? Because yep. you can't run an organization, not everybody's going to be a player. You need the guy who's not, people don't realize you need the number seven guy because he just clocked six sales. But the number one guy, he's my soul, 42. But a business, you still need those guys. Yeah. How do you, how do you, um, how, how do you, how do you say that? Um, how do you give peace? <laughs> to entrepreneurs that aren't just trying to kill the number six guy because he's probably not. I've been in these scenarios before. He's not an A guy.
0: I look for maintenance versus yield. So Mm -hmm. I want, I want low maintenance, high yield. I want somebody that's virtually autonomous. Mm -hmm. If you're not the best performer and you're in the bottom 30% of the business or whatever, but you're autonomous and you're profitable and you contribute with a good attitude and you're not shitting on everybody and dragging everybody down because your sales figures aren't that good. You just don't care about upward mobility. Dude, you're on the team for forever. Now, Mm -hmm. if you're the top sales guy, but you're shitting on everybody else, you're toxic, you're negative, done, easiest fire I'll ever make because you're high maintenance, high yield. So I I want I want my my sales staff to be as low maintenance as possible, high yield as possible, with a good attitude that's willing to contribute to the growth of other people on the team. And if you can accomplish that, you can scale it and you can monitor it because you know how much work you're having to put in and how much management is going to have to put in to provide maintenance to a either high or low yield team. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just want low maintenance, high yield, baby.
1: That's a it's a great way to look at it. And You know, because every organization, there's the guy and it's like, he's number five every single month. Like, how can you be number five every single month? Like your, your consistency is to hit number five every month. Isn't that, isn't that wild how their brain says five is the number. And you've probably seen this, right? It's like consistent over years. Oh, it, it,
0: it is incredibly consistent and predictable. And, you know, again, as, as long as that person is, is is contributing positively to the, to the morale of the group all day. Yeah. I, if my bottom guy who is not even profitable, if I can find out some type of evidence that that person is contributing to 20 other sales, because he's the funny guy, or, you know, he just gets everybody in a good mood and is highly energetic, dude, you're on the team forever. I don't care if you're, uh, if you're literally burning my money because ultimately Um, you're more profitable for the whole team. And that's another way to look at things.
1: That was, that's, that's kind of, yeah, that was exactly what my thought pattern of what you were saying is like, there's a sales person that's managed and there's a sales team that's managed. And those are two different situations. you got to have that lower, that lower guy. So what's exciting you right now? What's, what's, uh, what's exciting you? What's on the horizon? What's the, what's the thing that's gripping you right now?
0: Um, you know, one is uh, from a professional standpoint. Just the the momentum I have in my business. It's um, I've never ever experienced financial success like the like I'm having right now. And the most exciting part about that is one, it's happened so quickly. Two, it's growing so quickly. And three, I'm I'm 18 months into my business, and it's a multi million dollar business at this point with five people. Yeah. in wisconsin like the the amount of potential here is just unbelievable so that gets me fired up on the other side personal side got a baby on the way in july i'm buying a million dollar house should be done next month Woo! i'm getting a, getting a new porsche uh very very soon um and you know i'm just uh i'm just excited about all all the stuff that's just going on it's all positive it's all bright and um you know, nobody, nobody on this planet's more grateful for for the, the, even the, whether, whether you're listening, you're like, oh, whatever, dude. Or you're like, damn, dude. That I like dope. how you did
1: that. It's like, you, you, I like there's people you did above so me. There's you people, always, you mimic the other guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do too.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, I know there's people above me and I know there's people below me. Uh, but for me, out of all of them, there's nobody more grateful to be in my shoes than me.
1: That's amazing, man. I'm gonna. That's a closing statement. Where do they find you, Jordan? I've loved having you on the podcast. I'm probably gonna double down on you in the next eight months, and we'll do it again because it's just a blast to do this with you. But where do they find you, man? How do how do I help you get these people that are not being salespeople to rock and roll? How can I? You can
0: you can easily find me pretty much anywhere at Jordan Stupar S T U P A R, and uh, yeah, JordanStupar.com,
1: baby. And on Instagram, right? Jordan Stupar on Instagram. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you being a guest on the Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. Jordan Stupar, you're a stud and a legend, brother. I
0: thanks appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on.
1: If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.